Hey, Collaborist, I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buckholtz. And you're listening to Collaborist Cast. <laughs> Collaborist Cast collaborist Dish. How's it going, Jay? I'm doing all right. Things are weird out here. It's uh, like Florida weather. It's all muggy. It's raining. And well, it rained a little bit yesterday. It rained a little bit today. This is not a thing that happens out here kind of famously. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm not quite sure what to make of it. Any alligators prowling in the backyard? We've got iguanas. We've got alligators. All kinds of All kinds of things happening. I had a a friend, an alligator in Florida named Bert. So if Bert, the alligator shows up, tell him, tell him Ben says, Hey, I'll I'll send him your regards. (laughs) All right. Thank you. I'll shoot him your contact info. (laughs) Yeah. Tell him to send me a text message. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, it's really toasty here and humid, just kind of gross, but there keeps being the hint of fall. Like mm. it's not like it's here. It's like you just received a postcard from a long lost relative. That's like, we're going to be visiting in the future. And you're Sometime. like, Oh, some, some unspecified time. Yeah. Before we begin today's episode, I want to point out that I bit the back of my tongue. So if I mispronounce some words, I can already just feel it. So you guys <laughs> go ahead and laugh. It's all right. Uh, you bit the back of your tongue. How did yeah, you it's, like yeah, it's, it's back there. I Last week's softball game, I wanted to bring a treat for the fellas. And I went to the grocery store and I got a big bag of super bubble, bubble gum. And I told them, hey, our sponsorship arrived. And like, it was cool because... <laughs> Everyone at the game got a lot of gum if they wanted it because it was a big bag. But then I just kept it in my trunk. So I just keep popping my trunk every now and then. Like I'm just going to grab a handful of that. And so I was chewing a rather sizable glob of super bubble and missed, missed the intended bite and went under my tongue. So I'm nursing it. I'm going to play through the pain. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to podcast through the pain but through the bubble gum injury yeah it's it's a lot but i can i can do it i'm sure i can do it so before we begin this episode i want to remind people that we are now live over on patreon so you can go over there there are a whole raft of benefits that are just waiting for you if you're like you know the podcast is great but talking to you once a week just isn't quite enough well we've got options you can come over and hang out more often. And that's on top of, we're really, I mean, for some dudes in our 40s, I'd say we're blowing up the Instagram. Would you say that's fair? <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> we're figuring out the algorithm. So bear with us. But thank you uh, for people who are engaging. Gina Marie, thank you. You are um you are a great part of the community and I greatly appreciate that you keep up with our nonsense and our hijinks because we're having fun, but we're also learning a lot and it's, it's, it's a joy. 
The other thing that I wanted to remind people is that if you are listening this on the week that it drops, which would be the week of August 1st through August 7th, I am doing query letter reviews for free. If you've got a query letter that's sitting on your computer and you're agonizing about it and you're like, oh, I really want to send this, but I'm not sure, I've, I've, got, a, I've got space and time for you. So you can find out more information on our website, or you can just send it directly to info at collaborist.org. And in the subject line, put free query letter review, or hey, Ben, I need a free query letter review, or hey, Ben, would you look at this? And I'll take care of it. So that's going on through August 7th. It's free, no strings attached. Send it over. We'll see what we can do about it. And I don't have any more housekeeping details. Do you, Mr. Buckholz? I do not. All right, well, then take it away and get us into this episode. Get right into this. So this is continuing our summer-long series on elements of the novel, how to write a novel. We've covered how to begin. We've covered antagonists and protagonists. We've covered plot and pace and tension and stakes. And today, we're going to talk about one of my personal favorite aspects of novel writing and something that I put a lot of thought into and that's setting. Um, I think a lot of writers think of setting as, as background. And in one sense, I, I guess that's not wrong, but I think that that really downplays or, or I think that really understates how much of an impact your decisions can make on your characters, on the action, on how well your themes come forward. Um, and a lot of people just think of this as place, like, where am I going to set this? But it's also time. When, when is this going to take place? Um, depending on your characters and your plot, it can also be the, the social and historical context. And I think that those things are particularly important. You know, we talked about I think what was in, in in our in the episode on antagonists we talked about um under the underground railroad by colson whitehead and that's a you know that's a a slave you know it's a it's a it's about slavery in america it's about this escaped slaves so obviously that is a story that's going to be really fixed in a particular place at a particular time you know you don't write a story like that and well truth be told there are you know, many examples of slavery through many different geographies and many different times around the world. Unfortunately, Colson Whitehead, obviously, is an African-American writer, wants to explore that particular experience. So he's writing at, you know, the, the, the mid 1800s, early 1800s in the American South. Um, that That is a very obvious example, just like if you're going to, you know, write a, a historical fiction about Marie Antoinette <laughs> you're gonna it's you don't have a whole lot of decisions to make it's kind of decided for you but there are much more subtle ways where when we're when we're crafting something that is not quite so intricately and and bound up with a, a historical time and place um, then we as writers have many more decisions that we can make about where to place that and when to place it and what the mood is, what the historical context is. And, and those can really go 
a long way towards creating a, a, a good story towards, towards really creating a, 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 it can add a lot of dimension to your story. It can, it can, and the, and the, and the place where I really particularly enjoy this personally is that when, when the setting really becomes a character and that is, that's kind of a meaningless thing to say in some respects. It's not a meaningless <laughs> thing to say. And we talked about this a little bit in a, in an earlier episode under the, uh, yes, it becomes a character because it's something that we have to take into account. It's breathing, it's livability, it's, its goals and what's standing in the way. And one of the things that's key there, and I wanted to mention at multiple points with what you've already said, is that in the same way we talk about write what you know as your protagonist or the, the plot of your book so that you should have some authority and you should have the ability to convey uh, writing that rewards the reader's trust. Setting is very much beholden to those same rules that and you mentioned I believe it was in England you tried to write a, a novel set in this place that you were and that you were living for a little while and interested in and then you kind of gave up on it because you were like what can I possibly write about this area that um that captures it the way that a local would capture it am I remembering that correctly Yes, you are. And um, I, I, I wanted to bring that up because I had some further thoughts about that. Um, okay, well, before, before, before I get into that, I want to talk about like, I think that my my own personal objection to calling setting character is that it, it's it, it doesn't operate quite the way that the characters do. So I think that that I think it's just a crude way of saying that the setting can take on a great importance to the plot, not the way that a character does. But in its own way, in a way that only a landscape can, a, a time, a, a time of the year, they be, really become these very powerful forces in some books. Sure. And so subconsciously, what I was getting at with being able to write what you know and being able to earn the reader's trust as a storyteller, there are multiple times where I have come across books that have been submitted to me either for acquisition purposes at a publishing company or because I'm going to edit them in a freelance way where someone is writing about a city and it'll have been a city that I've been to. Now I realize that most readers, I've been to all 50 States. I realize that most readers haven't been, I've been fortunate enough to go to a lot of cities and have at least a passing understanding of different places, different geographies. And I can tell immediately when an author hasn't been to a city that they're writing about, where they thought it would be sufficient to use Google Maps to get some street names, maybe a business name, maybe a landmark. But that totally misses the actual vitality and life of a place. If if you're only seeing it as a brochure from the tourist visitors bureau, it, it lacks something. I, I remember specifically, I was reading uh, a novel that purported to be set in Chicago, 
And this person is going all around the town and never once mentions that they're on the L or that they're taking a train anywhere. And they're like, it's very clear that like the arterial nature of Chicago, like the, what it is, is not present on the page, which is a flat character. It's a, it's a non three dimensional character at that point. And so that pulls me from the book because if I say, well, you're not even capturing the setting, how can you possibly doing a good job of capturing any of the characters or what they feel or what their heartbeat is or what their life is? So that's where I just mean to say how important it is, because I think some people probably do see it as an afterthought or they think like, well, I'm writing a fast paced thriller. I better put it in New York. But, you know, I've never been to New York. So I'm just going to say, like, they drove really fast by the Statue of Liberty and then they were on top of the Empire State Building. It's like, that's (laughs) not how any of this goes. There's guys trying to walk here. There's (laughs) eating pizza trying to walk here. So I just wanted to point that out. I, I, I want to hand the microphone back to you. But like, to me, this is an important part of when we are understanding where is a book set. We have to be able to identify what makes that place vivid and alive and real. That's a great point. And I, and I, I think that that is, I think that, that, that in order for, a setting to develop a place, a, a time and a place to really develop into, to, to have that big of a presence, to be that immersive, not only in terms of your suspension of disbelief, but also in terms of the effect that it has on the characters and, and on the plot. I think that it, 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 it's going to be a whole lot easier to do that if it's a place that you know really well. I so I did there is you know I have this this somewhere down the line novel that I'm that I want to write and I was playing with the idea so I lived in England for a year I did a lot of traveling through Eastern Europe in particular and there were some locations there that I just fell in love with and I wanted to set things there just because I wanted to write about them and I I found myself having second thoughts about all that because I have in in other stories I've written about California in particular in ways that just feel so much more personal and so much more you know I don't think anybody's going to have the experience that you had of that Chicago setting when I write about California I think I'm much more likely to have that experience writing about Lake Bled in Slovenia where I wanted to have one of my because I, I I was there like three four days so you know that said, though, I, I, I mentioned that and then I thought, well, I, a big chunk of the novel that I tricked you into publishing is set in 1920s China. And, and I was like, and there are many books that are set in completely imaginary worlds. I'm, I'm in the middle of this science fiction binge right now. Dune, as I mentioned, is set on Arrakis. Um, I just finished Neuromancer, which is set in the, the distant future in what used to be Tokyo. And then also in some weird like floating space station in the sky where it's like this 
recreational pleasure dome that orbits who knows where these Which are also sounds like the name of the post-rock band that we should start so <laughs> we're now selling tickets people if you want to come see recreational pleasure dome live <laughs> at the fillmore is the fillmore west still open the fillmore yeah i don't okay. know what the west is appended to it but it's yeah fillmore's that was uh what is the name of our band i already forgot it floating pleasure dome floating floating <laughs> we're opening for strongly worded weather see i remember that one people all right go ahead sorry i, <laughs> I derail so you know i think in uh, i did a lot of research on china i i read textbooks i go you know and a lot of the agrarian society that was there the rice farming there at the time is still very much the way that that rice is farmed in modern like a, not a whole lot has changed in, in some places it has but there are still vast areas in china and in vietnam where this it's it, they have cell phones now but it's still you know water buffaloes and rice patties and it, it's you know it's not super different they're posting TikToks in between, you know, in between breaks. But that's, you know, other than that, the the rhythms of the villages and the roles of people and the things that they do and the way that their lives are governed by the the crop and the coming and going of the water or the floods is it's it's you know that hasn't changed. I've never lived in any of those places either. So I didn't have that to draw on. Um but I think that I, I think that it is so for those who haven't read it, it's it's mostly set in contemporary San Francisco. And secondarily, there are scenes of a hundred years ago in rural China. And I I feel like I was able to pull it off. I there was some really nice feedback that I got uh, from critics about and from readers about those the Chinese episodes where I was kind of like, phew. <laughs> um, but I think that, I think that the way that I write about California is richer and it's much more likely. I, it feels like much less of a stretch to take a place that I know like California and turn it into something that really is. And, and in the novel that I'm working on now, it's like, that was a very deliberate built in, part of the conception from the beginning was to was to create a story that includes two characters who go on these so i live in the bay area i live i'm about six hours from the oregon border and about eight hours from the mexican border um it's called northern california it's really more central than it is northern um but I wanted to have one character leave from here and then travel northward to the Oregon border and have another character leave here and travel southward to the Mexican border and then have them return after these kind of parallel journeys. And part of that was really a love letter to this state, which I'm increasingly having a love-hate relationship with, but that's a different story. Um geographically and culturally speaking it's just it's it's the place that i know it's something that i'm really interested in exploring 
people's relationships are, you know, I think as novelists, we go into these stories and we want to, we want to explore people's relationships to themselves, to each other. And for me, that relationship to the land, the way that the land forms us, the way that social history, like it, it's the, a lot of what I write about is, is the history of immigration and the history of immigration. You would write about that very differently sitting here than somebody would sitting in Manhattan. Um, there's two completely different immigration stories from from here and there and and from where you are. I mean, so I you wrote are working on a novel that is set there in Madison where you're sitting now. So what can you tell me? Tell me your thoughts. Tell me why what your choice was there. For me, it's set in Madison because it's where I grew up. It's actually set in the exact neighborhood where my babysitter lived. And I heard an anecdote. I don't know. I don't remember where. Don't remember who to attribute it to. It's one of those anecdotes that you hear and you're like, yeah, that sounds right. And then, uh, I don't know. I didn't take, I guess I didn't take as much stock in it as I should have at the time. But the gist of it was novelists, and I don't remember if it was debut novelists or if it's just novelists are trying to process the world as they saw it as an eight-year-old when they are working on their novel. Like this is the starting point. And that's interesting to me because that the book is set in 1984 in this particular neighborhood. And though the protagonist is 15 years old, that's when I was eight years old there. And many of the characters in the book are based on real people who were there and who I was interacting with as an eight-year-old and trying to make sense of that world. And there's part of the book that takes place there. And then part of the book takes place in Northwest Nebraska because I got really fascinated by this story there there were some mammoth fossils some mammoth skeletons that were found and two mammoths had their tusks locked together and they died and so when they found the skeletons it was two mammoths with with their tusks together and the best guess is that they were fighting and that one died and the other one could not pull itself away so it was just locked there and just had to slowly die attached to the things that it had killed but a pyrrhic victory yeah <laughs> the the most and i got really fascinated by that and i wanted to go there and part of the book was set where somebody makes a similar paleontological find and i went to the town in Northwest Nebraska where this all takes place. And I met locals and they were so generous to me and they showed me around and I got a feel for the town and they got out all these old newspapers that dated back a hundred plus years. And I could see the evolution of the town and I could see these family names and I could see things that I wouldn't have thought existed there. There used to be all these brothels, but there was also an opera house, but that opera house actually had boxing matches and like, you could see these waves come in where you would get people who are really puritanical who would be like, we're shutting down the brothels. There's no alcohol. This is now a dry town, no gambling, no fighting. And then like slowly there would be this erosion where 
the outlaws and the and the others would come back and be like, no, we're going to open this town back up. And so like you could see the cycles. But I created people who didn't exist there and I needed to have a place that kind of sort of had a magical connection. So I put the town in my book in that area and where my book takes place bumps up against that town in that county. But it's this carved out area where there's a little tiny community. So I'm able to think back to the natural formations that I saw and that Nebraska is entirely different than I had anticipated it being and much more beautiful, especially as it gets closer to the Rockies and there are these uh, buttes and there's all of this natural wonder. So I picked that area and took what I loved about the area, but then also created an area that doesn't have a history prior to it existing in my book so that I could write with authenticity and I could write with real energy about a place that I knew because I was creating it that happened to be near a place that I am a fan of and loved and understood from a a topographical perspective, but the history, the history I needed to be able to sprinkle in, I was able to get from locals. But it's, it was not a, a slight consideration. The, the carving out of this particular town was something that I did in a much later draft to be able to give myself the flexibility to write what I wanted to and not be like, well, would this really have happened? Well, who was the mayor at this time? And what like, I didn't want to think about any of that stuff. That's I'm really glad that you brought that up, because I think that 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 is a really beautifully illustrative example of inventing a setting, inventing a place, but then also having it be super specific. Um, It's and I remember this was back in my grad school days. I I, this was, a, a you know, the novel that will be forever sitting in the proverbial desk drawer but I had it set in the small town and I didn't I didn't really have the town named it was just like oh it's just a little mountain town and then I had one of my instructors say well you like it's fine that's fine but nobody can connect to a place that doesn't that they can't pin down like yes it's that's everybody can you know it's vivid it's descriptive you can see the lake you can see the movie theater etc but but it doesn't there you there's going to be a disconnect there unless you can name the state unless you can you know ha- have some idea of the flora and the fauna you know what like where is it you know what state is this what part of what state and um you know i thought i thought that i was making it more relatable by not being specific about those things but that's not how it works. Right. People only, they only know specific places. So you really can only relate to a place that is very specific and, and, you know, where you can have an understanding of the County and the weather and, you know, all and the history of, of at least the, the general area of like, well, who are the founding fathers of this town and the founding families of this town? And like, how has that got us to here? Even if that never shows up, on the page, the author has to have at least an inkling of what that is so that they can write. And, you know, that's a rabbit hole that 
I think we've talked about before where I've got my protagonist. And then my question is like, well, who are his parents and, and what is their story? And then, well, where did they come from and who are their grandparents? And like, I, I have to be able to go back in time so that if you ask me, well, where did this character grow up? And it's someone that's not ever on the page in the book, but it's someone that would have been in their family history. I can tell you where they grew up. I can tell you how they grew up. And that, that has to do with also being able to know that setting and know, you know, it's interesting, like when you were talking about writing about China in the twenties and how things haven't changed uh, on some level, like that's an important thing is that a lot of places evolve. And that's another way that a location becomes kind of like a character. Like over time, again, this is all work that may be happening off the page, but it has to be in the, the writer's head as they're trying to capture all of this. Absolutely. And and particularly when you are inventing places, because you have that much more work to do. If I'm going to, you know, if, if someone's going to write about New York City, there is a deep conception that we all have, uh, you know, something about it. And But if you're going to make up a place like so this is I gotta I gotta mention Lord of the Rings in every episode. <laughs> Tolkien, the amount of history that he wrote about Middle Earth that doesn't appear in The Hobbit or in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I mean, he wrote volumes. He he and you know, I'm not by any stretch a, a Tolkien completist or or a you know a Middle Earth nerd, but just just from you know my 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 obsession with Lord of the Rings is, is how well known it is and what a great example it is to teach so many things about the novel structure. So I'm not, I'm not pretending to have to, you know, to have an encyclopedic knowledge of, of Tolkien or Middle Earth, but he conceived so deeply of so many generations of history prior to those novels um, that it's just like he he's able to write about those places with a specificity that you can only have if you do that work. If you, if you fill all that in and, and know how things got there and, and how this group came to be in power versus that one and what the whole history of that is. And it's the whole social and historical context. Right. And all of those things are important. Nobody, nobody exists. There no, no stories exist outside of some context, whether it's, um, you know, just, just the, the political zeitgeist, the, the historical precedents, the, you know, some things are, you know, it's like talked about Colson Whitehead and there, you know, the social inequities. Um, these things are all, are all, they all play a big role. And if you're writing, if you're starting a novel, um, you might just think, well, I'll just set it here because this is this is what I know. Maybe examine that, you know, take a step back and say, like, what are the themes? What are the things that I really want my readers to learn about this character or to notice? Or what are the things what are the things that might appear in the environment that can really help my story along or help me with my character development? Maybe there's a different place than the one that you might have already thought of that that could be even even better. 
then, I want to not on this episode, but in a future episode, I'd like to talk about writing and context and how context can change so much of what the actual written sentence or written paragraph is in our understanding of it and how the same words, the exact same words can mean radically different things. And like, can I've, I've actually, my ears perked up a little bit when you said that, because I've really been down the rabbit hole the last few days about language without context and how the difference between our subconscious, our subconscious processing thing and our conscious processing of things and how context comes into there. And this is nerd level 50 like theory, but it's something that I've really gotten fascinated by. And I've been really tinkering with language to better understand some things that are going on. So I would like to bring that up in a future episode. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Maybe on our Patreon, we can do a five-hour riffing on contextless <laughs> language. You signed up for it. You got to be there. <laughs> <Yeah>. Mandatory attendance. <laughs> yeah, you have for some reason, more? I've just been thinking about, just to follow that up, it's, you know, in journalism, the quoting people, it, you know, the way that you can take people's words so out of context. Um, and it's, you know, we see that happen all the time. Yeah, I had just a, a short little list of things to think about and to pay attention to right. as you're writing. Um, you know, so we've talked about figuring on a place, figuring out a time. Um, as you're, you know, the time of year is also important as you're writing. Okay, so let's say you decide you're going to write, you know, wherever you live, whatever your story is, um, what time of year is it? You know, how long are the days? What What's the temperature like? Um, I get, you know, in, in my MFA program, you get all these little, these little tiny snippets and a lot of them just stuck with me. And one of them was somebody just said, Hey, I just like to just make sure you let me know what time of day it is in every scene. Like, don't make me guess if it's day or night. Like, even if it has, doesn't matter at all to what's going on, could be an interior scene. You know, a guy looking in the fridge at three o'clock, it's a very different scene if that's AM or PM. So just that's an, that's an extreme example, but it, it, it changes the whole feel, you know, it, whether it's what the weather is, what, um, just it, it can really change the degree to which a scene becomes immersive, the degree to which a, a reader, the degree to which you invite a reader into the scene. And you don't need to write, you know, two pages about what time it is and every detail in the cafe that, you know, or, um, you know, the exact date or the time of year, or the, the, you know, what the weather was like the three to four days before that. It can be very quick. Um, just to, just to, just to, is just a part of descriptive writing that, that, that matters, that helps to invite the reader in. Did you have more, more things on the list or was that? That was the list. Okay. Well, great. So can you tell folks what we'll be talking about next episode? Next episode, I believe it was going to be, we're going to talk about, we're going to get into a, a series of discussions over the next few weeks that have to do with 
what I like to think of as the texture of a scene. And that mm -hmm. has to do with description, uh, scene versus summary. Um, we're going to get into characters and their internal worlds, the way that you may have a scene and you're balancing action and dialogue and setting and a character's memories and internal worlds and and kind of get into all all the different dimensions of how you create a, a rich a rich well-balanced scene that that keeps track of all these different things that we need to keep track of when we're building we're getting into scene building basically sounds delightful it will be it will be all right. Well, I just want to remind uh, for the third time now, third time's a charm, go visit us on Patreon. It's Patreon slash Collaborist, and you can, you'll can you figure it out. Um, and also, if you're still out there, query letter review, go ahead, send it to me, info at collaborist.org. And unless you have, you have anything more, because if not, I would let just say hello to the tiger, the starfish, Bert, the alligator, whoever's showing up in your crazy new world with weather and everything else that's going on. Just new listeners, I guess. Welcome them <laughs> to California. And uh, yeah, that's a bit about it for me. For story? For community. Collaborate. Collaborate.